It's upon you, Fresno First family. Good morning. Good morning. And joy to you. All right. Thank you. I received that. Um, Justin, can you turn me down just a hair or just my hearing aids? My hearing aids are working very well this morning. Thanks be to God. Have we been pausing praying before we proceed this week? It's really cool because for those that have been practicing, they got a hold of me and said that, that it's been making a difference. I encourage us all to do it because when we allow the Lord to do the heavy lifting in our lives, it makes a difference. We're not as tired. We're not as exhausted. We're not so apt to not want to get out of bed and hit snooze five times in the morning. And if you are new, welcome. We are grateful for you to be worshiping with us today. And would you please fill out a connection card so we can keep you up to date on all the, all the happenings here at Fresno First and, and we can stay connected. And with that, let's go to the Lord as his people of prayer. Awesome. We are people of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we're so grateful. You are the God of all creation. Lord, you created us in your image and likeness, and it's through your spirit that you form us more from the destruction of sin, more into being your holy people, Lord. And Lord, you are the God of this community. Let us not forget that. You're the God of all peoples, whether they recognize it or not. Allow us to live a life that reveals who you are through us. Lead us by your will, Lord. Thank you for making us on purpose and for purpose. And, and will you forgive us for not living out your word appropriately at times and, and help us to show forgiveness and grace to others who, who may not be living up to, your, to the standards of your word, Lord. For you are the God of grace and compassion more than we can ever fathom. Lord, we want to praise you. A couple weeks ago or, or so, we were praying for that football player, uh, Damar Hamlin, Lord, and, and the whole country was praying. And, and although it took the tragedy of one football player to, to catch everybody to go into prayer, there was a focus on you. And Lord, today, uh, there's another football game. And it's not the game that I'm excited about, Lord. It's the, the news that um, the, the commercials, Lord, are really cool to the Super Bowl, I'm not going to lie. And there is a Christian outreach program that is going to go ahead and touch millions of souls today during the game. I ask that you now open up the hearts of those that will watch the game to your spirit, that you would move in them. And people will come to know you, Lord, as their Savior and Lord, and use us in a powerful way in whatever means that you deem necessary that, to your glory, Lord, that's, that people will come to know you. And people that come to know you would surrender to you, Lord. And Lord, we also lift up the, the devastation that's happening over there in Syria and Turkey and just the, the lives that are lost, the thousands, Lord. The suffering, the trauma, the sadness, the, it's overwhelming. It's more than my little brain can figure out, Lord. And so we turn it over to you. 
We turn over to you the unimaginable, Lord. We turn over to you the unthinkable. We turn over to you those times of sorrow that we have and we just don't have the words to, to speak out, Lord. We give it to you. We also give you those unspoken prayers. We ask you to radically move us. Don't just stir us, Lord. Shake us to the very core and reform us as your holy people. To be, let us become desperate for you. We praise and we praise you and we bring these petitions to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> if possible, would you please stand as we enter into the throne room of God? Isn't that cool? We're entering into the throne room of God. We are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let today be a reminder that we not just worship God with our words, we worship God with our whole body, with our whole being.
God that saves us. We worship a God that is worthy of all our praises. When there's a good dinner in front of you, when you have a place to eat, when you have a place to set, we praise God. When we wake up in the morning, the time we go to bed and in our dreams is an opportunity to praise God. Because... God's the one that created everything. He created the air. If we didn't have oxygen to breathe, then we wouldn't have a voice to even praise him. Everything we have comes from the Lord. And with that praise, let's lift him up in worship and turn our eyes toward him. And we, we've got some, 
We're setting aside our missions moment because God was on a mission with Carrie on the high seas. And I want to invite Carrie on up right now to kind of share how God moved and answered some prayer. My husband was a member of the Fraternal Order of Real Bearded Santas. And every year, the end of January, they have a convention. Well, this year, they decided to take that convention on a cruise. And so we, um, I ride down with a friend of mine to Southern California because she knows her way around down there and I don't drive in that traffic. And. Um, on the way, we pick up one of the Santas, who in April will be 91 years old. Uh, his name is Carl Ross, and when he introduces himself to people, he will often say, my name is Carl Ross. That's two four-letter words. You know, like work and play and pray. And he's just a very nice gentleman. So we get down there, get ready to get on the ship. And because my friend's husband was going with her and he's in a wheelchair, we had uh, VIP entry onto the ship. Carl didn't. So I said, well, we should wait for him. And she said, it's okay. She said, we'll, we'll get together on the ship. It'll be fine. Well, we get up there on the ship and we're all checked in. And she gets a phone call on her phone saying, um, Carl is here and he's not going to be allowed to board the ship because he doesn't have a passport and he doesn't have his birth certificate. He took his real ID thinking that that was all he needed. It seemed when he signed up that that would be fine. But they, didn't, they said, you need to come. But they didn't tell us where come was. So we're trying to find him. We go to where we checked in to get on the ship and we're told if you get off the ship, you can't get back on. Okay, but where is Carl? The number that called her doesn't answer when she tries to call it back. And so they said, well, go to guest services. We went there and they said, he cannot come on the ship. We're going in international waters and there's no way without a birth certificate or a passport that he'll be allowed to board. So we said, okay, but can we at least talk to him? Can we see him? Where is he? We don't even know where he is. And he's 91 years old. And so they said, this guy said, okay, here's what I'll do. I will walk you out. You will have to check out at every check-in point, And then you'll have to make sure when you come back that you check in with the same people you checked out with. So we're going all the way back down into the terminal. And Carl is sitting off by himself in a chair. And we get over there, and he comes to meet us, and he said, well, he said, I guess I should have brought my birth certificate, but I thought the real ID would, would be enough. And he asked the young lady who was standing there, he said, is there a shuttle to the airport? She said, no, you'll have to call an Uber or a taxi. And he said, what's an Uber? <laughs> so, um, I mean, we stood there. I'm pretty much in tears. Carl says, I have a book. I can sit right here and read. He said, I, I, I don't know. He said, it'll work out. He's always very positive. And um, the young lady said, you know what? She said, 
the terminal closes at 3, and I'm off about 3.30. She said, if it's okay with my boss, I'll take you to the airport. And he said, okay. He said, I can just sit here and read my book. And so we, um, we left and went back on the ship. And we're there about an hour. We've had lunch. We um, are down on the deck, too. And been about an hour since we'd seen him. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I said, Carl? And he's walking past me. And, and he said, oh, I've been looking for you. I've been walking this whole ship over. I said, but how did you get on the bus or on the ship? And he said, well, he said, this nice young lady, I don't know what she did. I said, I know what happened, Carl. I have been praying that if there is any way on earth that God will let you on this ship to please let him board this ship. And if not, then get him safely to the airport. And I said, Carl, that was God. That young lady was used by God to get you here. So um, we had a good time, and we played a lot of cribbage on the ship. So. story to that and what that is is that you know the we're on this ship that God has us on and as Christ followers isn't that our prayer that every soul could be on that ship with us as we journey with Jesus into his kingdom right so let that be our prayer. Lord, whatever it takes, reach those people that they may understand and, and be on board with you as their Lord and Savior. There's a lost and hurting world that's drowning in fears and sorrows and brokenness. You know, Jesus saves us so we may share that salvation with others. You know, there's a reason why we come on Sunday mornings. And does any, why do we come here on Sunday mornings? Anybody want to take a venture? They're like, no, the pastor just asked a question. Yes, Mary? It was drove to my dad on Sunday morning. Yes, yeah, I didn't quite hear what you said. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday Amen. Jesus rose from the dead. And so that is that. that. And, but we gather intentionally... To worship him. That's right. right? And when we think about it, think of the clouds. They, uh, they gather up all the water. And it evaporates all the water in the clouds. And they condense. And then it's sent out onto the land to go ahead and nurture everything that it touches. And that's the life of our life. Our, as Christians, God gathers us on Sunday mornings to worship and enter his presence, be, be renewed and re refilled and be restored from the whatever it was during this week that we can have a respite for this time in peace with him. And then we're sent out like the rain to share his grace and saturate his uh, creation with his love. And, and that's why we're here. Because the light of the world stepped into darkness. 
May our eyes be open and see that and share that beauty with all. Please stand as we continue to worship the Lord. some technical difficulties. I forgot to make a copy. Together, wonderful to me. Here I am.
just heard a story about the high seas and this is a song that was written upon the high seas in a great storm and there was a man a captain of a ship that God changed his life because this man understood in an instant what it meant and the power of to live in God's grace God's amazing grace <clears throat> Amazing grace, how sweet.
Christ to go and make disciples. Amen. And y'all are missionaries. You ever consider that? Amen. Sometimes we go, we're going to fund some missionaries and we're going to send them to Siberia. Well, I hereby today declare you as an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene, you are missionaries sent through those doors to your neighbor to your friends, to your co-workers, to your family, to the people you have yet to meet that God is going to have you intersect with. And my prayer is that Fresno First would be in a position to support whatever those needs are to God's glory. That we would expand His presence in the city of Fresno and beyond. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity right now to give in our, our tithes and our offerings. And we ask that you to, to bless it and expand it multiple. I think that was really poor English, but you get it, Lord. Multiply whatever we give to your glory. Glorify yourself. And Lord, may people come to know you and may lives be forever transformed and the trajectory of their souls go into eternity in your presence and in peace. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's time to pass the peace, and that means let's take some time and fellowship and mingle.
You ever hear of Lent? No, not Lent. Lent. Lent you find in your belly button. What we don't say? Belly button. Sorry. Never mind. We are talking about Lent. Not Lent. On this episode, not episode, of Chuck Knows Church. Lent is observed in the liturgical year for approximately six weeks, uh, considered a time of preparation leading up to Easter. Is this awkward for anyone else? I think we can, I think we're good. Thank you. Ah, uh, in most, in most Western Protestant churches, Sundays are not counted as part of Lent. So the time from Ash Wednesday until Easter is 40 days when Sundays are excluded. This is to recognize the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting in the desert, where he endured temptations uh, before beginning his public ministry. Now, as we said, Lent is a time to prepare for Easter. In fact, the church focuses on increasing spiritual disciplines such as prayer and repentance or self-denial, uh, like giving up sweets or fatty foods or the mispronunciation of words like Lent. All this provides an example to those preparing to live out the covenant of baptism. Now that's why Lent can also be a time to take on something, a chance to improve yourself, uh, grow spiritually, work on relational or bodily fitness, learn to juggle. Whatever it is you choose to do or not do, it's about enhancing the discipline of the whole body for conversion from sin and death to love and life in Jesus Christ. Now, my favorite part is right before Lent on Shrove Tuesday, AKA Fat Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday, and right after No Interesting Nickname Monday. Uh, Fat Tuesday is where we eat up all the good food in the house to prepare for the fasting season of the 40 days of Lent, which always translates to a pancake breakfast at our church. There we go. Can I get a fork? Anyone? A fork? We already did the no. Tuesday episode. Okay, can, did you ever hear of seconds? There we go. I do not have a loud voice, so that helps. Um, some announcements this morning, and I'm passing back to Pastor Jason. Um, Basics Bible Study, that's going to start this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm excited to get that kicked off. Um, and then we also have a Fat Tuesday Pancake Dinner. That's going to be the 21st uh, to Tuesday here at the church, and that's going to be from 6 to 7. Um, so we're welcome to obviously our church family, but friends, family, neighbors, so uh, invite and uh, we'll enjoy some pancake dinners. And then uh, Lent begins the 26th. Um, as well, we're going to have elections for the church, so any of you all members, I believe it's 15 and over can vote, but okay, 15, yeah. So if you're uh, a member of the church, we're going to have elections for the board on the 26th, um, and then... A uh, couple of the things, let's see, the, um, where did it go here, uh, the pastor uh, prayer sign-up, so 
Uh, that's going to be out in the four days to sign up for that. Um, and then the last thing that I have is going to be Grow Group. That's going to be March 2nd here at the church from 6.30 to 8.30. And uh, there's a couple books out there that I saw. It's really good. Um, I'm third of the way through and look forward to that. So I think that's it, Pastor. Okay. Still curious about the basics Bible study, I did a write-up of the who, what, when, why, where, and how of it, and it's in the lobby. Grab one of those. Also, uh, if you, everybody here frequents our uh, church website, I imagine. It's, it's our go-to. It's probably the home page when you pull up your Google or Safari or whatever browser you use. Uh, it's changed. So now when you hit events, we have an interactive church calendar. Yay! Yeah. Okay, all right, woo! And so this is cool. So let's just say, for instance, what is going on in the church? I don't know. We go to the website, and you can do it on your phone, and you go to events, and it has the calendar. You pick on the day that you're looking at, and it has everything that's happening that day. Um, it just so happens the basic Bible study is on there, and in there is a Zoom link. And if you hit that link, it'll open up a Zoom page so you can... Uh, you can go ahead and uh, join us remotely, which is awesome. For those that need help, I know that there's at least one, one or more of you. Uh, let me know, and I will help you set your phone or computer up so you can join us for the Bible study. Any handouts we do in the Bible study, we will have available the following Sunday uh, so you can have a hard copy if, uh, if you choose to have that. So any questions so far on that? We want to make sure everybody's on the same page because there's a lot of excitement for the basics Bible study. I think Sue said that she was going to, might be joining us too from home online. Yes, Carrie. Okay, see me afterwards and we'll, we'll get you and I'll make an appointment to come on over. All right. And with that, if you have your Bibles or apps, we're going to be landing in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. You know, when I was a kid and uh, my parents wanted to get a piece of furniture, they'd haul all of us in the, in the, in the car and we'd go over to a furniture store and whatever it was, whether it was a, uh, you know, a bookshelf or a desk or a bed or a dresser, it didn't matter what it is, we'd walk around and then I'd listen to my dad um, haggle because he was cheap. And he always wanted to pay less for the price, but you could do that back then because you went to the furniture store and you're speaking to a person. And then <clears throat> some people would go ahead and, and it was usually free delivery and they'd deliver it right to our house. They'd take out that old piece of furniture and they'd put that new piece of furniture in right there. My mom and dad didn't have to lift anything. I didn't have to lift anything. My brother didn't have to lift anything. And, and then over the course of my lifetime, things changed. If I want a piece of furniture, I didn't really go to the furniture store anymore. I went to Costco. I went to Walmart. I went to Ikea. I went to Kmart. Um, and I went to online, right? Sometimes delivery was free. Sometimes you had to pay for it. And usually it came to your front door in a sturdy box. Takes a team to lift, but they leave it at your front door. <clears throat> and then that's when the heavy lifting happens. And then there's usually some place in here on the instructions or whatever where it says some assembly required. And so that's, that's what you get. <clears throat> and so this is when anxiety starts to go up. And because it's really to get lost 
to see the big picture when you're, when you're caught up in, in the five million screws and pieces that are coming in this tidy little box. We forget why we even ordered it. And, and what I learned is there's a secret to success whenever you're going to head and unpacking this box. Is, is one, there's directions. Use the directions. Receive the directions. When I say receive the directions, prepare yourself mentally. I like to pray. Seriously, Lord, please let this go smooth. And then I clear a spot. I want to clear it of all the clutter. I want to clear of anything that's going to get in the way of this building accomplishment. Because when I start a project, I feel like Noah, and I, I don't care if it's a desk or it's whatever it is, it feels like I'm building an ark. And I want it to be successful. And so I, I, I receive the directions, I apply the direct, or I, I read the directions, I receive them, and then I apply the directions. And that's when I follow step by step by step by step in assembling all this together. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, it's really cool because every time I put a screw into its right place, it feels good because there's a less, now there's 499,999 pieces left because I got one done and then I got to remember that I'm, I'm not just doing this because I like to bash my head against the wall I had a purpose of buying this in the first place and it's really easy to forget the purpose and the purpose is I need a desk and then when I'm done I put the desk in for use and for life I put my computer on it put my coffee mug on it I put my little catchy little slogans on it to remind me of who I am, put my sticky notes on it. And it just kind of reminds me of that's, that's kind of how our life is, isn't it? Sometimes it feels like we're just a jumbled bunch of pieces and mess and a bunch of screws loose. And the thing is, is, see, God has this thing and he gives us instructions. See, God gives us his word. And we're to, just like if we're going to assemble this, God wants us to assemble us and our lives. We are to, to go ahead and, and read his word and listen to his word. We're supposed to apply his word or receive his word. And when we receive his word, that means we remove all the other stuff from our life that doesn't belong. And then we apply his word in what he gives us. And then there's a purpose to this whole word, to live it out. And that's where we're going today. Because James is very practical. And he doesn't want us to forget that God has a purpose for his word in our lives. Who we are in Christ and where he's taken us. So if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? James chapter 1, 19 through 27. <coughs> Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and 
after looking at himself, goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure, as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Amen. See, it's good to kind of remember the intent that of James writing this letter in the first place, and he was writing it to those that are dispersed and persecuted, those that, that have entrenched themselves in new cultures and new traditions that, uh, and new ways of life in cities outside Jerusalem, outside the, <clears throat> the Jewish tradition. And, and James is, is uh, this letter that James writes is traditionally thought of as the per first publicly written document to show how Christians are to live and act from this moment forward that it was written. And I began to think about that. So how do we learn to be Christians and, and follow the life of Jesus with him as our Lord and our Savior? It's a question worth asking. We learn it through fellowshipping with others, right? We learn it through the teaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God and, and reading our scriptures. We learn it through life and ministries of the church. But what happens when there isn't a community to dwell with, to teach us? What happens when there's no teaching or preaching available? What happens when the New Testament isn't even written yet? And the only way that you have to follow Jesus is by what you heard or reading the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law and the Prophets. See, these first Christians, these were the first generation Christians. They didn't have the availability of what we have. Yet they were still called to pursue a life of holiness to be holy as God is holy. And James reinforces the, the purpose of his writings to not forget that they are to move forward, that their present circumstances, as much as it feels like a scattered mess of bolts and pieces, has a purpose. That that scatteredness is not the end. <clears throat> that they do have a calling. And that calling is to live out the word of God that through life circumstances, they are not to forget who they are, who God is calling them to become, which is holy. See, holiness is God's love acting into God's love. Think about this. So you got the church. We're the church, the body of Christ. We are to act into the love of God, and we are the love of God, for God so loved. We are the beloved of God, and we are to act into his love. That's God's love acting into God's love. And this means that we are to practice those things and those teachings of God which come through his word, 
so that we can reveal God out the doors and the words that we use and the actions that we take and the interactions that we have. And so others may know that their life can be transformed through the Lord and See, at the time of, of this letter, these scattered Christians had very little contact with the apostles and their teachings. And they struggled with, these, with, the, with going back into these unholy patterns of their life before they knew Jesus. And, and it would have been easy for them to get frustrated in their lives and, and get frustrated because they don't have the teachings. And, and they're being persecuted, remember? So if... Maybe it was attempting not to try to stand out. I don't know about you, but sometimes in this world, it, it's not fun to stand out as a Christian. Certainly not easy, depending on the circumstances or the context in which you live. Especially if you're outside these doors and you're not immersed in, in a Christian fellowship. It's really easy to try to live undercover, and perhaps some of, of these first readers that James is writing to struggle with the same thing that many of us struggle with today, that it's easy to say, yes, I know God's word, and it is locked away in my heart, thanks be to God, and I'm going to leave it there, and then it's just going to collect dust. It's going to stay locked away and hidden, and it's out of sight, because I don't want to stand out. I don't want to lead with faith. Because isn't quietly believing and confessing that Jesus is Lord and Savior, God raised him from the dead, isn't that enough? Isn't it enough that, that God loves us, amen? And he covers us with grace, amen? And isn't that what love and grace is for, so that I can keep my mouth shut? That I don't have to share and live out God's word? Not according to James. Not according to the writings of Paul. Not according to the Old Testament prophets. Not according to Jesus. You see, there is no place for an apathetic or non-responsive faith for those that claim to be in the family of God. We're going to be known to the world not what we keep hidden and in the dark and in secret, but how we outwardly live out in and by and through the love of God because holiness, we are called to be holy, right? Holiness is actionable and we need to remember that. And it begins with hearing the word of God. And James starts us off with a reinforcement of our place in the world or better stated, our place in God's kingdom as heirs to Christ, as brothers and sisters would take note of this. Take note of this, missionaries. Take note of this, family of God. Take note of this, representative ambassadors to the kingdom of God, to a lost and broken world. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Amen. You know, see, anger doesn't act into nurturing God's love. You know, last week we actually used anger with a pray or with a pause, pray and proceed because anger can be divisive and harmful and painful. And when anger is left unchecked, it can be weaponized against all those that step into our path. 
And that root source of anger is primarily anxiety and fear and pride. And here James calls us to check ourselves. We are to take inventory, just like we would do in a place of business. We're to take inventory of our lives and check ourselves and check our motives and check our hearts. We are to ask ourselves, what is the loudest voice in my life? Because chances are the loudest voice in our life is that voice in which we are going to follow. Is it the voice of the Lord and as shown through his word? That still quiet voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to us when we can trust God, focus on him and be still and listen intently to him? Is it the voice of the world that tells us that we have a right to be angry? That, that we have a right to, to assert our agendas and how we think others should live, how, how the world should be, how life should live, even the life of the church. That's our right to go ahead and tell others how they should be. And we have a right to be angry about that. We have a right to indulge ourselves. We have a right to our sinful delights. And we have a right to turn our backs on God because we have earned it and we know better than everybody else. Which voice is loudest? See, if the, world, if the word of God is to make an impact of, into our lives, we miss, must first exhibit a willingness to hear it. You know, it's, it's not just also, and I'd add this to James, it's not just be quick to listen, but be careful of what you're listening to. You can't unhear things just as you can't unsee things. And if we're letting whatever it is that we're listening to influence us to be divisive and abusive and hurtful and angry, maybe we ought to change the channel. See, it's not enough to just be quick to listen. We need to know what we're listening for. And God wants us to listen to him, to his word that motivates our faith into action and motivates us to be in relationship with other people. You know, and that's, that's the tension in which we live, right? Because there's tension whenever we're in relationship with others. As human beings from the fall, we have a fault of being selfish. Through Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, we're transformed to give up our selfish tendencies and seek God's will in our lives. And, but we do have this natural inclination to want to be right. We want to be heard. We want to take control of the situations around us want to control others, sometimes passive-aggressively, but we want to control others, and sometimes we even want to control God. When we are slow to listen and quick to interject our opinion, it becomes difficult not to get frustrated and even show our anger. Please don't raise your hand on this one. Does anybody know anybody who always has an opinion and is the first one to give it? I'll take that as a yes. See, rather than hearing the big picture and seeing the good intentions of others, they shout, they shut down their ears, and they open their mouths. They come across usually as abrasive, critical, 
and it becomes a personal attack on those they're speaking to, and it's a sh it's a, it shows disrespect. See, the challenge here for us that James is giving is for us to think before we speak, to read and follow the instructions, right? To hear God's word or to, to listen to God's word. Hear the word of God, which are the instructions for life, and to be still have control of our emotions and our thoughts and, and become aware of our surroundings. Because someone who's a continual talker, whether externally or internally, is unable to hear what anybody else is saying and unlikely to hear God as well. But when we're quick to listen, it gives us room to understand and hear others. When we're quick to listen, it gives us an opportunity to hear God well. When we're quick to listen, we often don't disagree and we don't make others wrong. And when we're quick to listen, we see the best in each other's and all of a sudden we can understand that God has a plan that maybe we didn't see before because we weren't listening. When we're quick to listen, we're less apt to get torqued to be divided and find more commonality. When we're quick to listen, we become peacemakers. And when we're quick to listen, we become slower to get angry and we find that every interaction that we have in life is a source of growth if we're humble enough to hear. And then James moves to verse 21 that says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And the, the key word here is therefore. And if in scripture, whenever you see the word therefore, everything after the word therefore is dependent upon everything that was stated before the therefore. It's a, it's, a, it's a connection word. And so if we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, therefore, we need to make a place for God's word in our life to be received. Remember the instructions. We're to, to read the instructions, listen, take them in, and then we got to receive them. And, and we talked about if we're going to receive them, we got to make this big space, right? Clear away all the clutter and the junk. So we're listening, and then we got to receive it. We got to make room, and that's the simplicity of what James is saying. We got to make room for the word of God that is implanted into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, God stated in the Old Testament that there would be a time when he would write his word upon the hearts of those he loves. And in Jeremiah 31 33, we read, I will put my law with them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the implanted word of God within us, which is his will and his love and his purpose for us. And it sets us apart by writing it on our hearts that that purpose is that we would become a holy people. You know, there's a similarity between James and, and Jeremiah and where we are today. Jeremiah wrote to a people in exile. James writes to a people in exile. And we still are a people in exile. For our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And we are kingdom people. And that means that all that we do is to live into and expand God's kingdom evermore across the world to reveal God's heart and his love and his grace to others and invite them into on the boat, like Carrie was talking about, we pray them in. 
See, once we hear the word of God, we're to receive the word of God. And that means we need to make more room for the word of God. We don't just say, okay, I'm going to make room for the word of God. I'm going to shove a little bit more of this 10 pounds of junk in a five pound heart. And now I'm going to shove a little more word of God in there and make it cram. What we do is we declutter. We make less room in our hearts for sin, make less room in our lives for moral filth and hate. That hate that comes from that unchecked anger and from the evil. Because the two are not compatible. They can't live together. You cannot have love for God and love for sin coming from the same heart. And James has this play on words of, of rid yourselves. And it just kind of, when he says rid yourselves, it's like get rid of like a t-shirt that's dirty or your stinky shoes, you know, because they're making the place smell. And it reminds me of the fire department. Years ago, there was a study. <clears throat> and you know our big yellow turnouts that we have that we go into fires with? They were getting contaminated uh, and infused with toxins that were giving firefighters a huge rate of cancer. And they said, this is what you got to do. You need to wash them. And so the fire department I work for bought a brand new extractors. That's a fancy name for industrial washing machine. And we would wash our turnouts monthly. And it wasn't doing it. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to just wash them. We need to do something else. See, when I, when I started the fire service, it was back last century, literally. And you know those turnout boots? It was really cool. We take them off. You got your suspenders. I could still just do it with my eyes closed. You do it. Unbuckle. Boom, 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 boom. Step out of it. You pick them up because they got handles on the boots. And you stick them next to your bed. So in the middle of the night, if you get a call, you jump in. Boom. You walk over to the rig and you go on whatever emergency there is. <clears throat> Found out that the turnouts just being in our living quarters was exposing <clears throat> our lives to toxic chemicals and was killing us. Cancer rates were still up. It wasn't until we removed all the toxin contaminants from where we live that the cancer rates begin to go down. And this is exactly what James is saying. Rid yourselves of all this. Rid yourselves of all those things in your life that are slowly killing you. Because God has so much more. And the more that we rid ourselves of that, the more God's word can be alive in our hearts for us. But it means we got to receive it. That means we got to make room for it. And then we need to practice it. See, practicing the word of God, <clears throat> we need to do it daily in our lives. And practice makes perfect. It's just like anything. If we're going to learn a new habit, we need to do it again and again and again. If we're going to play a sport, you got to go ahead and go to the batting cages. You got to go ahead and throw a ball. It takes practice. And, and when I say practice makes perfection, I'm not talking about it's unblemished. I mean that perfection by living with everything we have into that present moment, into the design in which we are intended. An example of that is a perfect is a pen. Now a pen is designed for a purpose of writing. Exactly. Y'all get gold stars. That was an A plus answer. So a pen's supposed to write. Oh, here's a here's a pen right here. The pen's perfect. 
But what happens when the is chewed on, kind of bent? What happens if it's like that? Is it still perfect? Yeah, because it writes. Still lives into its purpose. This pen is perfect because it does what it's designed for. You know, in our lives, we may feel like chewed up pens. We may feel broken, bent, but when we live into the purpose that God would have us, and that's to be holy as he is holy, when we allow God to write through us, we fulfill our purpose just like this pen. And part of that purpose is to make sure that those outside that we meet in their lives, when they're chewed up, when they're broken, when they feel they're useless, we can remind them God has a purpose for them too. That it may not feel like you're, you're living perfectly, but when you surrender to God and you allow him to begin to write out the rest of your story, you enter into his purpose for your life. There's something sweet about that, isn't it? It's not rocket scientists. It's just practicing the word of God and practicing that and practicing it and not quitting and just allowing God to just keep writing and writing and writing. And pretty soon, I guarantee, we're not going to be as chewed up. We're not going to be as bent. And we're not going to be as broken. But that's not our job. That's God's job. And I'm going to let God do what he does. And I'm going to go ahead and do what Jason does. And what Jason does is just surrender to what he would have right. Amen. That's it. Because I'm about as sharp as a wet sack of liver. But I can do that. And when we let endurance have its full, full effect, that means that we practice with perseverance. And then pretty soon we get mature. And pretty soon there's grace that we give to those that aren't. And we remind them, do not give up. Do not quit. Persevere. God's not done with you yet. But it takes practice. Hearing the word of God and receiving the word of God. Making room for the word of God and practicing the word of God. You know, and then James said it would be doers of the word of God. It's not enough to listen. It's not enough to go to Bible studies. It's not enough to listen to some preacher. It's not enough to just listen. There's experts in the Bible. There's experts in Hebrew and Greek. There's experts in the first century culture and biblical times. There's experts in the Bible that would probably knock all of our socks off. But it doesn't mean they're a follower of Jesus. You can fill your mind up with all kinds of cool stuff, but unless you're living it out, the proof is in the pudding. It's not enough to just listen. We are to be practitioners of faith. We put into practice what the Word of God says, because if we can't put into practice what the Word of God says, maybe that's not what God intended for His Word. Both transform our life, not just fill our heads supposed to transform our hearts and move our feet and hands into action. I'm all for studying his word, but if I can't live his word out, then I question why we've just been studying it. And there's no way around this. God's not asking for our opinion. Hey, do you want to just 
go to a Bible study and just learn a bunch of cool stuff, that's good. Now go do those cool things. There's a purpose that God has. See, it doesn't matter how much we sit and read the Bible, watch and listen to sermons. If we're not practicing what we have, um, what we have learned, then we are not growing in our faith. Jesus was very practical. He said, take all this and go and make disciples. That's what he calls us to do. Take what we learned and go. And then James talks about going and looking in a mirror. And that's what a mirror does for us. A mirror reflects what we have. It's really cool when a kid sees themselves in a mirror for the very first time. And they find out that they are whatever they're touching in the mirror. That's them. And that becomes their identity. And the, re the mirror reveals who we are. And it becomes a defining moment in our lives when we realize who we are. Because the, the mirror allows us to know what our identity is. And our identity comes from the heart uh, that we practice. And that practice comes by living out our faith because our identity is to be in Christ. So the question is, when we look in the mirror... Do we see a stranger? Do we see an enemy? Do we see a friend? Do we see our true self? When you look in the mirror, do you see the image and likeness of God? Do you see a follower of Jesus? Do you see a sister or brother in Christ? Or do we willfully disregard what we see and let the world become our identity? And that's what James is talking about. And forewarning those that are outside <clears throat> their normal cultural practices that, that to look in the mirror and not for forget who do you belong to? Who is forming you? And what are you becoming? Because practice makes perfect. As James shows, and practicing means that we don't forget. That's why we practice. We practice what we've learned. We practice what we're doing. And it, in practice, we learn who God is having us become. And it takes practice. And lastly, James concludes with living out the word of God. With an example of how we are to live, it's not just enough to be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's not enough just to make room for God in our lives. It's not just enough to, <clears throat> to practice the word of God in our lives. Remember, this box had a purpose, right? I was going to build a desk and I put that desk into purpose or into use, and I put my coffee mug on there, I put my computer on there, my little post-it notes, little inspirational sayings, put my Bible on there. Because you're supposed to live things out, and God has the purpose for us to live it out, and James gives some very practical things that we are to do. He gives two of them. The first, tend to the most vulnerable in society. Second, be vigilant and continually rid ourselves of all that would hinder, pollute, and contaminate intending to the most vulnerable society. We begin with the statement of holiness is God's love acting into holiness, and that's exactly what James is saying right now, that the, the word of God leads to a life of fullness, a, a life of holiness, to be holy as God is holy, and, and we receive that through the love of God through Christ as we take on his identity and we practice it, and now we turn that love outwardly through those doors into the mission field, you missionaries, to disseminate 
God's love and his word and part it to the marginalized of our time, just as James said to do in the marginalized of his time. And we do it by being slow to speak or quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, getting rid of all the sin in our lives, making room and then living it out. James says that in this to, to go to the marginalized, we are to go out and show the love of God to those that are unlovable. Amen. We are to show compassion to those that don't know how to receive compassion. We are to be a support system to the addict. We are to be a hand up to those that want a better life. We are to be a life preserver, throwing out and saying, we're going to pray you in. God wants us to take his word and live it out to make a difference. And that's what James is saying this morning. Because sometimes it just feels like at the beginning, we're just a bunch of five million pieces all scattered. But God has a plan and a purpose to make us holy and to send us out to share that with others. So our challenge this week, as we live out the word of God, and I added something, how are your actions a reflection of your faith during our week? And then for everybody else, besides that, I want you to write down or memorize this. Who is one person or people group that is marginalized that you can show love God's toward? Show love, God's love toward. What is one person or one people group that you can show God's love toward? And what is one step, one step this week that you can take in showing God's love toward that person or people group? Pause, pray, proceed when you do that, by the way. And then tell me about it, because I want to hear the stories of God transforming lives. We all need to hear those stories. Amen. So if you're able, would you please stand for a blessing? May God keep you and bless you and keep you. May you hear, receive, and live out the word of God as you live together as his body. May you remember you are more than yourselves and you are ambassadors of God. Go into the community as we connect, grow, and serve, you are sent. Amen.